Hello, and welcome to Sustainable Business Fridays, hosted by the Bard MBA in Sustainability. Today is indeed Monday, and we are very happy you have joined us. My name is Stephanie Milbergs, and I'm Assistant Director of the Bard MBA Program. Today we will be speaking with Yurina Muhika, Managing Director of the Natural Resources Defense Council Center for Market Innovation. We started this conversation on April 3rd, but were unfortunately cut short due to a technical difficulty. Thus, we will continue the conversation today, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Without further ado, I will turn over the floor to our MBA student host, Rochelle March, who will lead today's discussion with Yurina. Welcome to both of you. Thank you, Stephanie. Uh, it's my pleasure to reintroduce Yurina Mujica, um, who comes from today the NRDC, the Natural Resources Defense Council, which is an international nonprofit based in New York that uses science and law to tackle some of the world's biggest environmental problems. But within there, Yurina is the managing director of the Center for Market Innovation, CMI, which focuses on green, inclusive, high-impact strategies across food, water, shelter, and energy. Uh, she launched CMI in 2007, and now she, lead, she co-leads in demonstrating new approaches to finance and investment that offer both strong profit potential as well as strong benefits for people and the yeah. environment. CMI works together with private and public sector leaders to accelerate the adoption of more resilient, inclusive, and efficient strategies uh, across the board. Um, she's going to tell us a little bit more about her current suite of projects that I'm really excited about, which, just for uh, a review, includes energy efficiency and affordable multifamily homes, identifying innovative financing opportunities for green infrastructure, and developing strategies that will make our food system safer and more sustainable. Uh, she has a decade of experience researching, developing, and strategies. And prior to NRDC, she worked as a consultant for the government and private sector and as a director of product development for Internet Startup. Um, so, Yurina, with that, I would love to hear a little bit about your um, self-introduction and how your career has evolved up to this point. Okay, great. Thanks so much, Rochelle and Stephanie. Um, thanks for having me on um, speak with this group. It's always great to have the opportunity to speak with folks that are, um, you know, building their career towards with a focus in sustainability. Uh, I feel like not so long ago I was in um, similar shoes, so I appreciate the opportunity mm -hmm. to speak with, with you all. And um, in terms of my background, I guess I will just give a, a little bit of background in terms of how my career has evolved and how I got started in this space. Um, I really started my career in, I would say, mainstream business. I was a business undergrad. I had a goal to, you know, pretty simply get a good job when I graduated with a good salary that would allow me to support myself and help my family. Um, and I worked in a number of for-profit enterprises. I worked, I started out in consulting on financial systems, and I then moved to working as director of product development for an internet startup. And through those experiences, I really, I found that I really enjoyed working in um, the business space. I really enjoyed the type of work that I was doing, but I wanted to find a way to combine my business background with my passion to, for making a more positive impact and having more impact. Um, in the work that I do. So I decided to go back and um, get an MBA with a focus in sustainability. And this was, this was back in 2002, and there were really, at that time, kind of a handful of 
schools that had that focus. Um, I went to UNC Chapel Hill, which had a program in, that focused in sustainable enterprise along with the traditional MBA. And, you know, when I started that initiative, what I, I thought that I would end up going back to the for-profit sector. You know, I just thought this was the right time for me to hone my skills and, and bring more of a sustainability focus to that career path. Um, along the way in that MBA program, I had the opportunity to really be exposed to what for me was a whole new world um, around nonprofits. It's a sector that I honestly hadn't really thought very much about in terms of a viable career path, but through a number of um, engagements and, and uh, partnerships through the MBA program, I had the opportunity to, to work at an NGO and I thought, you know, this is really exciting to me because it allows me to focus 100% of my time on work that is really value aligned and I thought that that was really attractive. Um, it also, I thought, brought the ability to really take a step back and think about the entire sector, an entire sector, an entire industry, and what are the barriers that are preventing it from moving forward in a more sustainable way. Um, so when I graduated from the program, I had sort of decided to do this um, complete sort of career switch and pursue the nonprofit sector. I was fortunate enough to, um, to meet someone who was working at NRDC as director of programs at the time and, you know, just started talking to him about what I was interested in doing and how I wanted to, you know, combine my um, business experience with my passion for the, for the environment and how I thought that there were opportunities to really um, build upon the, the power of markets to really create powerful change. And fortunately, um, you know, it, he basically said, well, that's interesting because NRDC has been thinking about starting a center around those concepts and, you know, we could use some help in, in thinking that through. So um, I kind of jumped into this uh, consulting role where I helped to think through and conceptualize what a center for market innovation could look like. And it took us a few years to get that up and running. So in the meantime, I also worked on both local policy um, here in New York City. I worked on the hybrid taxi bill, for example, and um, a bill around electronic waste. And I also worked at the federal policy level on energy efficiency. So those experiences were really valuable to me because then when we did um, sort of launch the Center for Market Innovation in 2007, I was able to move into that space and really pursue these collaborative opportunities with the market, but I had also built up um, a better understanding, I think, of how policy and business can work together and how they can complement each other, um, you know, if, if done right and if we are really thinking about enabling better business um, as the way that we move forward with shifting to a greener economy and a greener um, environment. Very cool. Well, thank you for telling us that story. It's really interesting, and I think uh, it's a great um, story to tell to the MBA students um, to see that interlocking between policy and business and how that is so important. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the work 
that the Center for Market Innovation does, and what exactly does CMI work towards um, besides this overarching um, interplay between business and policy? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, kind of at a high level, our goal at the Center for Market Innovation is to help accelerate the shift to a greener, more prosperous economy that benefits everyone. So what does that mean on the ground? We, the way that we do that is we work collaboratively with the private sector as well as public sector and other NGOs to help identify, demonstrate, support, and then scale up strategies that really deliver those profitable solutions. Um, so for example, one of the areas that we have worked on is um, an initiative called the High Performance Demonstration Project where we're working with commercial tenants to help bring the business case for energy efficiency into their decision-making process when they're moving into a new commercial space. Um, and we do this type of partnership across um, energy, shelter, water, and food, which are the four key areas that we focus on. So, you know, these are really sort of the building blocks of life, but they're also areas where we see um, opportunities for really transformative environmental markets to take off in each of these sectors. So our role is oftentimes that of, um, we play multiple roles, but oftentimes it's, you know, working collaboratively with partners in the private sector to identify what are the barriers to scaling up more sustainable solutions and how can we demonstrate the opportunities that exist and then help to really replicate those and scale them up. Mm -hmm. Very neat. So you mentioned a lot about these partnerships. Can you tell us a little bit more about the partnerships you forge with both the for-profit and non-profit actors uh, in order to create these markets? Sure. Particularly um, perhaps, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, and I think you, when I was looking, part of it was for the green infrastructure improvements, but if there's a different one, um, be happy to hear about that as well. Okay, yeah, no, sure. So um, in the green, I think the green infrastructure one is a great example. Um, and, and first, let me, maybe I should take a step back and just make sure um, that folks are, you know, what we mean by green infrastructure. The, the work that we do in this space is, is really focused on green stormwater infrastructure at this point. And basically, um, you know, in many older cities like New York, like Philadelphia, we have a combined sewer system which means that rainwater and wastewater flow through a single piping system. Um, and that's, that system works most of the time, but when there's a heavy rainfall, it overwhelms the, sewer, the combined sewer system and you end up having basically raw sewage being dumped into our rivers and waterways. So with the idea with green infrastructure is that you're able to use natural um, approaches like planting trees and rain gardens, um, green roofs, or establishing uh, pervious porous pavement that allows you to capture the rainwater, soak that into the earth, and then very slowly release it um, and not overwhelm the systems that we have. So this is an area where um, we have partnered with a number of uh, entities to address this this problem. We've worked with the city of Philadelphia 
to help them think through strategies that they can apply that would bring private sector um, investment into the space and help them to accelerate their ability to um, reduce their stormwater overflows and in increase their green infrastructure. We've also worked in that same partnership with a group called Echo Asset Management, which is a which is a um, private wealth management firm, as well as the Nature Conservancy, to come together and help to analyze and assess what the opportunities are in this space. And you know, the 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 great part of the story is that there are tremendous amounts of opportunities. It's actually much more cost effective to solve the problem of um, stormwater overflows by incorporating green infrastructure than it is by only looking at the more traditional route, which would be you know, rebuilding or building additional stormwater processing um, facilities, which is sort of these large concrete um, infrastructure that is extremely expensive for cities and also you know, doesn't necessarily provide all of the additional benefits that you get when, when you use green infrastructure. So we've been able to work with these partners to identify a path to increasing investment in green infrastructure um, at the same time reducing the cost that the city would um, need in order to comply with its stormwater regulations and also um, ha happens to have the benefit of providing more green space and providing, um, you know, greater economic opportunity within the city as well. That's excellent. And it sounds like that would be the infrastructure that keeps on giving. Um, exactly. since, you know, the plants kind of keep growing, and you don't have to do maintenance, like on a big wastewater treatment plant, et cetera, plus all the health benefits from having that, that cleaner air quality. So that's, that's really neat. Um, yeah, it's great. Quick thing I would say, there is there actually is a level of maintenance involved, but even with that, the cost is still um, more effective than building out the gray infrastructure, and um, that's a great source for you know jobs within the communities. So it it has a lot of uh, multiple benefits in that way. Mm -hmm. Great point. So uh, we recently had a, a launch event for one of our classmates who was doing a podcast called The Roundering. And we realized from that event that New York City buildings emit 75% of the city's greenhouse gas emissions. And most of these buildings need a serious energy retrofit. And I understand that um, the NRDC, New York City of Office of Long-Term Planning, Sustainability, and Deutsche Bank Community Development Financing Group were together to establish this um, group, or I guess kind of a, a corporation called the New York City Energy Efficiency Corporation, tasked with basically doing a full-scale market-driven energy efficiency retrofit across NYC. So um, that sounds pretty, pretty amazing. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that and PMI's role or in that? Sure. Yeah, that's... Um that's a great um, stat that you just put forward because there is so much opportunity to improve energy efficiency within our buildings. And there is, you know, a lot of, I think, really great progress that is happening, but we know that there's so much more that we can do. Um, and so in this instance, 
one of the things that we were looking at is, you know, obviously how do we, how do we accelerate this and how do we um, create the connections that are needed and address the barriers that exist to move much more quickly on implementing energy efficiency. And, you know, in talking with folks in the market and talking with folks in on the energy efficiency side, it was pretty clear that there was a somewhat of a disconnect where, you know, if you're if you're talking to folks on the energy efficiency side, there is a tremendous amount of historical data that points to the the fact that energy efficiency investments are very um, low risk investments that have very strong paybacks. But on the other side, um, you know, talking to folks in the financial sector, there still is a perceived risk uh, to energy efficiency projects. They're just they're structured in a different way than I think m many folks are are used to, and the the data that exists is not exactly in the the form that is that is necessarily the most useful um, when you're looking at financial risk assessment. So one of the things that we identified is that there was a need for a an entity that could help kind of bridge these two um, these two sides, and so we had developed a, a proposal um, and a concept where you you created a facility that would support energy efficiency retrofits by providing credit enhancement or other um, strategies to basically take sort of the first risk of a project and then allow the private sector, um, the private financial markets to come in and play a role in these deals um, so that you're able to move more energy efficiency projects forward, but you're also at the same time able to develop um, the historical data that is needed to really bring um, bring into alignment the perspectives on what is the actual um, appropriate risk premium for these initiatives. And you know, ideally, in I think this is the case in a lot of the work that we do, we always think of ourselves as our role is to help to catalyze market changes, and then our ideal scenario in many cases is that we then become obsolete in that specific space because the market has taken it up, and then we can, you know, move on to the next challenge. And so I think that is um, I'm not sure that we're obsolete quite yet on energy efficiency, but I do think that that is the um, one way that we are moving, helping to move the market forward, is by us having these enterprises that are able to start to bridge the, the gap between sort of the energy efficiency practitioners and the science behind energy efficiency and the um, the private sector and the financing for efficiency. Excellent. So definitely kind of in, in internalizing this interdisciplinary approach, like you said, being the connector and the catalyzer. I think um, another example of that is the is a a three-day event the NRJC just organized, the Food Plus Enterprise event, that focused on connecting regional sustainable food enterprises with farmers and investors. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the vision for that event and where you see that going in the future? Sure. And this is an initiative that we supported in partnership. We co-hosted in partnership with Slow Money New York, um, the Young Farmers Coalition, uh, and as, as well as a number of other food and um, food book fair and a number of other 
enterprises. So it was really a, a joint initiative where a number of organizations um, came together to develop a three-day event, as you said, um, and it was a really exciting opportunity because we were really focused on, you know, as the title says, food plus enterprise. How do we help to bring together um, the financial investors that are interested in the food space with the uh, local, regional, sustainable operators that are working, um, you know, to develop these better strategies? And how do we make those connections really looking to bring together the full value chain into one space and, you know, talk through what are the barriers, what are the opportunities, and, and how do we together advance this field? Um, we had over 600 people participate, um, and we heard from a really broad range of people who are on the ground trying to create a healthier food system. And a lot of the focus was around sort of the connection between rural food production and urban procurement and supporting the infrastructure that we need to bring those two together. So I think that there were a lot of really exciting um, ideas that came out of that conference and there we're in a process now of really thinking through, okay, well, how do we pursue these? How do we continue to explore the strategies to strengthen that connection in a way that creates financial opportunities both for the entrepreneurs and the farmers, um, as well as creates greater food, healthy food access within urban areas? That's great. Yeah, I think, um that will only become more pertinent as we start to kind of re-envision our food system. And now with the drought in California, and apparently the U.S. gets one-third of its food from California, um, that those kinds of initiatives will just become more and more important as we figure that out. That's really neat. Um, so the previous initiatives we just discussed are based on these really unique partnerships, some public-private, other between actors in the public service, and, you know, that seems to be a key thing to really um, utilize with these kind of massive, large-scale uh, challenges. Given your experience, what do you think are the key elements to effective collaborative partnerships? That's a great question. I think I would say the first thing is having a clear shared mission and having clearly defined roles of what each partner brings to the table. Um, you know, to make sure that from the starting point we're all aligned and moving towards the same goal. Um, you know, there are going to be case times when the partners don't agree on everything. So focusing in on what is the goal of the partnership and making sure that we do agree on that goal and that we do agree on the strategy for moving it forward, I think is a critical first step. And that's, you know, for us that's been um, kind of shown time and again in, in the partnerships that we work with. Interesting. Definitely. Just took some notes there for my own work because that's something that I definitely struggle with. Um, and so what are you looking for? You're doing a lot of inter really interesting work, and it sounds like it's just, you know, just evolving. It just started, and now it's starting to take root in different directions. Um, what are you most looking forward to with your work at CMI and, and with your own career with that sustainability? Yeah, um, you know, I think there's a lot of exciting stuff 
that's that's coming up. I think one is we're really starting to move toward an approach that is much more integrated. Um, you know, so instead of working on each of these areas independently, you know, food, water, energy, shelter, um, we're looking at okay, what if we take? How do we take a more integrated approach? Right. So working on community re revitalization and going in with the mission of bringing together better affordable housing with more green space, you know, that addresses the green infrastructure side as well, um, including access to healthy food within, as part of the definition of a sustainable community, and really just taking a more holistic approach, um, to me is one of a really exciting direction that I see us moving into going in this next year. Great, great. Um, so now I think I'll pass this over to Stephanie if you have any questions or if you want to open it up to the audience to ask any questions. Sure. Thank you, Rochelle. So um, if anyone is on the line and would like to ask Irina a question, please do press 5 star on your phone. Again, that's 5 star. Um, and we'll see you, Rochelle, um, if any come in right away. And if not, we can continue on, and I'll just let you know, um, you know, when when a question pops up. But um, you know, this has been great, especially Yurina, your thoughts about partnerships and what makes them successful, because that's something we think about a lot in the MBA program and our teamwork. The idea of a shared vision in the contract, so that everyone's on the same page <laughs> about what the goals and, and what they want to accomplish. So those lessons, I think, are brought in so many levels of business and learning. So that's really great that you highlighted that. Thank you, Stephanie. So I'll carry on, and, and audience, please feel free to perk up with your questions if you feel inclined. Um, so, Irina, you know, you, you mentioned you're you're out pretty recently, um, out into the market. Do you have any advice for recent graduates and students of sustainability looking to get into the work you're doing with this kind of innovative finance mechanism, or you know, sustainability in general? Yeah, it, that's a, it's a good question. Um, it's a it's an all of the above kind of answer, I would say. I think there's really <laughs> no one right path to you know to work in um, the sustainability space. Um, you know, I think that having a traditional for-profit experience can be a strong asset. Um, you know, if you're looking at working in an NGO, because that knowledge is it's just so valuable um, in the nonprofit and the impact space. But, you know, really there are so many different avenues um, that that one can take. I think having deep expertise in a particular area can also be very attractive. So whether that's, you know, real estate, supply chains, energy markets, you know, all of those translate very well, I think, into sustainable career paths. Um, but you know, I, I think in general, I would say just follow what you love and you know keep driving towards it, um, and that's the path to getting to this you know the sustainability career that folks are, are looking for. I like that. I read a Rumi quote recently. Um, I'm probably butchering it, but it went along the lines of, "The sooner you figure out what you love, the happier everyone else is." or something like that. Um, <laughs> <I think laughs> so, exactly right. And I would say also, you know, you may not find 
the perfect job right away, but making sure that every every job and every experience along the way along the way really um, builds on kind of your your end goal and your and your dream job is critical. You know, where it takes I I did say that it was um, not so long ago that I was uh, thinking about my career. I've actually been. I graduated from my MBA program in 2004, so it has been a little bit longer than my recollection will always uh, want to recognize. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you've been very busy, and it's been a full-bodied time. So, you know, time flies when you're busy. So that's, that's what might happen. <laughs> um, so, you know, recently there's a lot of this tension about climate change policy and some of the forecasts look pretty crazy, even though I was really heartwarmed by Obama's um, bringing on Luther, his anger interpreter, and he got a little upset about climate change, which was, which was pretty great. But um, for you particularly, you know, there's a lot of, of um, challenges in this field. And what makes you most optimistic or excited about working towards a sustainable future? I think, um, I mean, there is a lot to sort of, we, there's a lot of uh, challenges out there, you know, to focus on, and, and they are very serious. Um, but I think there is always cause for optimism. And for me, what um, really inspires me in this work is, is, first of all, people. You know, there are so many people working in so many different ways to create a better future that you, you just can't help but believe that that is actually um, going to have a significant impact in, in changing the trajectory that we're on. And frankly, you know, programs like BARD MBA and so many others that are growing, you know, exponentially because young people are demanding to be part of the solution. I think that we really are seeing um, a significant shift in the way that we think about sustainable solutions and the role that that business and government play in ensuring that our future is more sustainable than, than our past has been. Um, I would also say, you know, I think there is so much innovation and, you know, I don't think we can underestimate the our, our American ingenuity, our human ingenuity, and our ability to solve problems. I think it, we've demonstrated time and time again if people really focus and their energy around solving a problem, we can get it done. And so I think there's significant urgency, but it's, you know, in my mind, it's absolutely not too late. And I think that we're starting to see much more um, effective, I think, communication and mobilization around solutions. That's great to hear. And I definitely, definitely agree with you. I think things are moving very quickly. And very optimistic as well. Um, uh, so, you know, you've been at NRDC in a lot of different positions, and you've kind of, um, you know, made this niche there and now are really leading with, with CMI and, and other initiatives. Um, what did you enjoy most about working with NRDC? You touched upon this a little bit previously about working for an NGO and, and that unique experience. But are there any specific cultural or organizational components that you would recommend for other sustainability-related organizations or just 
any kind of collaborative entity. entity. Well, for me, I think one of the things that I really love about working here is that I am able to work on such a broad range of issues and focus, you know, really starting to think about how do we bring those together. Um, and I guess I would say that that concept of bringing these um, solutions together and thinking about them in a more comprehensive and integrated way is really inspiring and I think is critical for us to be able to solve these um, challenges in a much more accelerated way. So to me, that's been one of the things that I've really appreciated about working here. Um, and also, I mean, you know, I, I have to say it's an amazing group of people to work with. You know, everyone is very motivated and, and incredibly smart. Um, so it's a really great environment from that perspective as well. That's cool. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about, you know, finding those connections and figuring out, you know, you touched upon kind of the system thinking way of dealing with issues on the, the broader scale, so in the city with energy efficiency and linking these different entities together. Um, how does that happen step by step? You know, how do you focus? Um, I mean, there's kind of this huge, very complicated network going on. Yeah, that's the that is definitely the challenge. And I think we come, you know, we come to different solutions in different ways. Um, going back to the idea of partnerships, that's a that's a really important facet of this because no one group has all of the information or all of the resources and um, and solutions. So kind of doing a landscape analysis of, you know, what are what are different groups already working on, what are the barriers that, that persist, and bringing in, you know, that private sector perspective to really make sure that we understand um, the, not just the theory, but very much the implementation on the ground and what are the specific sort of touch points where a um, focused effort on creating, whether it's removing a barrier or creating greater opportunity for investment or creating opportunity for more transparency, um, you know, sometimes just lack of access to information can be a very significant barrier. Um, so having the opportunity to work together to identify, you know, what are the, what's already happening in this space that's positive, how can we help to move that forward, and then, um, you know, figuring out whether do we need to, do we need to help to demonstrate the potential, right? Do we need examples on the ground and, you know, whether it's case studies or best practices to help disseminate the information. Um, how do we do that in a way that reaches the greatest number of people? Will we do it by partnering with, you know, leaders in the industry so that it's their, um, you know, their ideas are coming to the table as well and they are helping to uh, bring those ideas out to a much broader audience.
sorry about that. Had myself on mute. Um, thank you. <laughs> um, I was wondering. I was, I was about to jump in, Rochelle. I wasn't sure. <laughs> sorry. Great. About that. Um, yeah. On that, do you mind jump in? This is Stephanie. Um, uh, Yurina, related to partnerships, what I'm really fascinated by, you know, you, you've had this experience of working in the private sector, and now you're, you know, you're in the nonprofit world, and I've also worked across some different organizations. And when it comes to these partnerships, and I agree with you, you, no one organization can do it alone. You need to partner, and I agree with you about the shared vision. And I'm also just wondering from a cultural standpoint, you know, these organizations that you partner with are probably very culturally different from NRDC and how they work and their cadence of workflow and what's expected. And I was wondering if you could speak a bit to that because we as the Bard MBA have worked on partnerships outside and it's interesting to work with people outside of your team where you don't know each other in the same way you know your team. So I wanted to see if you have any um, suggestions or thoughts or advice in that realm. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I mean, I think for the Center for Market Innovation, we're kind of a bunch of ex-private sector <laughs> folks. Um, so in, in, in some ways, I think that, you know, there are fewer differences in terms of how we approach the, the work and how we approach the workflow. Um, but that is definitely something that, you know, I would go back to the idea of, you know, having very clear expectations and from the beginning, right? So what are, what's the timeline that we're working on? You know, things that seem quite simple, but it's really critical to make sure that they're clear and transparent. Um, who's going to be responsible for which tasks? Uh, you know, what's the con sort of contingency if things shift? So, you know, I think really just trying to lay that out as much as possible at the outset and having you know, very regular check-in points to make sure that we're um, working, you know, towards that schedule that we, when things shift, that we all sort of come together and agree on how we're going to react to it. So I think it takes a lot of coordination and, and effective, you know, communication in both directions. Um, but I think those are really the key ways that, that at least I've seen to help make sure that you know, we are able to, even with different cultures and different um, different expertise and different backgrounds, that we're able to work effectively together. Great. That's really helpful to hear. Mm. Sorry. Go ahead, Stephanie. Sorry, Rochelle. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, I was wondering, too, if yeah. you could, I mean, this is kind of a logistical question, but you talked about understanding what other people are doing and seeing what else is out there. And what do you think is the best way to do that? Is it just looking on the internet? Is it calling people? Is it going to meetings and conferences? What do you think is the best way to really understand the landscape? Uh, it's a little bit of all of those. I mean, the networks are so key in um, being able to more quickly understand the landscape. Um, you know, so for us, we definitely are trying to make sure that we are staying in touch with other leaders in the field and experts in the field so that we know what's going on, um, whether it be through attending conferences or just through having conversations with folks. But then also, you know, kind of diving into more substantive research, um, you know, to see what information exists 
what studies and analyses have already been done and where are the gaps and where are areas that, you know, no one has quite, you know, gotten to tackle that question yet. For, um, I think it's, it's, there's no easy way to, to do it. It really does take, you know, just kind of continuing to be up to date on what is going on in the field and also working with the relationships that we have to make sure we know, um, you know, the what our partners are doing, what others in the field are doing, and then bringing, you know, in some cases we will bring in consultants that will help us do a landscape analysis because that is, you know, that might be the most um, efficient way to move forward on a specific initiative. When we were looking at the green infrastructure work, for example, um, we were looking at different finance financing models, and we drew a lot from our experience on energy efficiency and the different approaches to that have been applied to financing energy efficiency. For example, you know the um, the pace financing approach versus the energy services contract approach. So we pulled from expertise that we had on staff, but we also went out and worked with um, with Booz Allen in this case and looked across other financing mechanisms that had been used in other industries to see how effectively they could be applied to finance green infrastructure. So, um, you know, it depends on each, each situation is a little bit different, but probably a little bit of each of those solutions that you mentioned is necessary in each case. Got it. And, you know, you don't have to answer this, but do you have a favorite financing mechanism? <laughs> <laughs> um, probably like choosing your favorite child. Like you can't, you can't. <laughs> um, okay, I understand. <laughs> no, but I think really there is each, each financing mechanism is appropriate for specific instances. So I do think it's important to really have, you know, have all of them. Um, you know, I think one thing that, you know, is so true is that all investing is impact investing. Um, and I can't remember who the first person I heard say that was, but it was sort of an aha moment of like, you know, everything that every type of, in, every investment that we make has an impact. The question is, does it have a positive impact or does it have a negative impact? Um, so, you know, when you're thinking about financing mechanisms, it's kind of how do we apply the financing mechanisms that are available to us in a way that will maximize the benefit for any specific situation. So, you know, a power purchase agreement might be the right mechanism in the case of renewables where, you know, um, green bonds might be the way to go for city investments. It really depends, I think, on each individual um, circumstance. But to me, you know, that concept that all the investments we make have an impact, and our goal is to make sure that they have the most positive impact that they can, um, really resonated. That's, that's really interesting. It's a really, uh, it's a really neat point. Um, are there any kind of on the cusp, on the edge financing mechanisms that you think will kind of grow in popularity or you think have pretty, pretty good chance of, of potential into the future? You know, I just mentioned um, 
green bonds lightly, uh, lightly, and I think that that is an area that we're seeing really exponential growth in that field. And there's a lot, you know, there are a lot of questions about what does it really mean, what are the standards, how do you define it? But I think the the fact that that market is really taking off as much as it is is very valuable in terms of helping to shine a spotlight on the impact that our investments have and helping to enable um, more investment in the solutions that we want to see. So, you know, I think, again, I think all the, um, there are many different types of, of financing vehicles, but that's one that I think is, is very interesting to watch at this point. Definitely, yeah. And, you know, do, is something like crowdsourcing or crowdfunding still more of a, um, you know, an informal construct for, finance, for financing, or do you see that being integrated into more formal mechanisms into the future? I mean, I know, like, taxes are kind of a, a source of crowdfunding, but is that something that's on the radar at all? Yeah, no, that's a great point as well. I think we're seeing, you know, crowdsourcing sort of starting to grow up and you're seeing that, you know, there are specific, um, now you've got specific platforms for different sectors really focused on um, the specific needs of those sectors. So, you know, barn raiser is one example in the, in the food space where they're really focused on how do we help support these more sustainable food systems um, through this platform, and it allows them not only to raise money, but also to raise visibility. Um, and it's sort of this uh, virtuous circle of benefits for the entrepreneurs and for the investors who are now able to have more transparency into these investment opportunities. So I do think that that's a, an exciting space as well. That's really interesting. Um, I look forward to seeing how that develops more. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to do this. And um, are there any last thoughts or things you'd like to share about your work or the sustainability going in the future before we start to wrap up our call? No, thank you for having me. Like, I really appreciate the opportunity. And I think, you know, there are, I think we will continue to see more and more uh, areas where sustainability is really starting to become part of moving from sort of this niche area to the, to, to the mainstream. And ultimately, I think that's where we all want to go, where we're maybe talking a little bit less about sustainability as a, you know, a part of the business sector and really talking about how business, how sustainability integrates very deeply into all of the, all of the work that folks do, um, both in the private sector and the public sector. And I really do think that that's the direction that we're moving in. So um, I think there's a lot of work to be done, um, but I think there's a lot of work um, going on already. And you know, I think the future holds a lot of, uh, of opportunity in that, in that regard. Definitely. And I think, like you said earlier, our goal is that we don't really have jobs anymore. We just, our work is integrated seamlessly into normal society. 
So that will grow bit by bit. Great. Well, I will pass on Stephanie to close us out. And thank you again, Irina. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much, Irina and Rochelle. And I absolutely agree. And that's what really excites me about the Barn MBA program and um, the idea that sustainability is not a specific job anymore. It's really fully integrated. And perhaps it's no longer a word at some point. We'll see what the future holds. But um, just want to thank you all so much. And everyone on the line, uh, join us this Friday at noon for a conversation with Baldev Dugal, founder and CEO, CEO of Lumi Solaire, for a conversation about art and technology for sustainability. So thank you all for being a part of today's discussion. A very special thank you to Irina and Rochelle, especially for doing this again. It was great that we could finish up. And have a great week, week everyone. And I hope you'll join us on Friday. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.